Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Well, good morning again. I'm very excited to be here this morning. Uh, I was not here the last two weeks, so it feels like a long time, just a couple weeks, but it's nice to be back. Uh, Two weekends ago, uh, I spent the weekend in Manitoba with my in-laws, and then uh, last weekend, a bunch of us as staff were down in Canmore. So two weekends in a row, Manitoba one weekend, Canmore the second weekend. Let me tell you that, Manitoba and Canmore, that is the order to do those weekends in. Because Canmore is beautiful, but especially its its beauty is notable when you've just spent the previous weekend in Manitoba. I think it would be pretty depressing to do that in the other order. And yeah, so anyways, um, yeah, I was sad to uh, not be here to hear Barry speak last week, but thanks to the magic of the internet, I listened to the podcast this past week. It was awesome. Um, uh, As a lot of you know, and as you can probably figure from the screen, we're starting a series now called the Gospel of Mark, just working through uh, the book of Mark in the New Testament. We're going to do that over the next few months. Um, And I'm excited for this because really at FBC, everything that we do and everything that we are about and teach uh, comes down to what we call the gospel. That means the good news, the story of who Jesus is. And that's really what the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, are the biographies of Jesus, his life and his ministry here on planet Earth. And I'm excited to just walk through that over the next few months, as I usually do uh, when I'm preparing for a book of the Bible here at FBC. Um, I, I read through Mark with my uh, baby, my one-year-old, Avra, and um, you know, so a lot of, if, if there's ever a point where you're like, wow, that's a really profound thought, uh, probably they came from the deeply exegetical thoughts of Avra, uh, not from me, so you can give her credit for that. Um, it's actually challenging this past week as we were reading her Bible together. Uh, she's, she's always coming up with like new games and new things that she can do. She's able to take off her own socks now, um, which is sometimes hard some days for me now. So uh, she can take off her own socks now. And um, her new game is while I'm reading, she just shoves her sock into my mouth and then takes it back on it. So if I'm fine, if you're finding it hard for me to talk about Mark this morning, it might be because I'm used to reading it with a sock shoved in my mouth. And so not used. So if I'm stumbling, just bring a child's sock up here and it should help out. So, um, what we're going to do this morning, uh, I don't have, you maybe have noticed in the bulletin or if you're using the app, I don't have a bunch of like fill in the blanks or notes or anything like that. We're just going to work through the first 15 verses of Mark chapter 1. Um, it's quite a bit to bite off, but we're going to work through them. And what I want to do is just uh, kind of look at three characters that we're going to see along the way. Uh, first, we're going to talk about Mark, the guy who wrote the book. And then we're going to talk a little bit about John the Baptist. And at that time, we're actually going to stop and do communion together. And then uh, we'll finish by talking about Jesus. And um, I don't have, like I said, I don't have a bunch of points along the way or whatever. It's going to kind of make some observations about the text and follow it. But really what I hope is that we're going to arrive somewhere at the end that will kind of be foundational or helpful for the rest of the series. I hope where we arrive at the end in the last two verses, we'll just give you 
kind of a lens to view the rest of the series through. We'll give you a, maybe a, a healthy posture as we work through this book over the next few months um, that you can take on. So as we're continuing to work through Mark, where we land today, I hope, will just kind of maybe resonate as we move on through the book. Anyways, before we dive into the book, why don't you take a second and pray with me? God, you are uh, so amazing, and I'm thankful that you not only... Um, give us opportunity to have a relationship with you, but you continue to speak to us. Uh, I pray that today and over the next few months through this series that um, it wouldn't be our ideas or our thoughts or our own theological opinions, but it would just be your voice clearly coming through and speaking to our hearts as we dig through the gospel of Mark. We love you so much, God. Amen. So I'll give you just a little bit, we're not going to spend a lot of time on who Mark is, I'll give you just a little bit of context as to who he is. Mark's actually a historical figure, uh, he's the guy who wrote the book, I guess in ancient times you didn't have to be that creative when you wrote a book, you just put your name on the front of it and uh, that, that was easy. But uh, So he's this guy who wrote this book, he was a contemporary with Paul, if you've read uh, the letters in the New Testament written by Paul, a lot of them are written by Paul, um, he's like friends with this guy, he's really close with Peter, uh, you probably know Peter if you've read Acts or if you've read any of the Gospels. He's the guy that like walks on the water. He's, he wrote a couple books named after himself in the New Testament. Um, and, and Mark and Peter, it's believed that they're really close and that Mark was a disciple of Peter. So some have actually even called the Gospel of Mark the Gospel of Peter because they would believe that Mark, a lot of what he's writing is like the kind of the first-hand experiences of Peter. And Peter's kind of saying, this is, this is what's up. This is what happened. And, and Mark's writing a lot of that down. Uh, a lot of scholars believe in something called Mark and priority, and that that is that Mark, out of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, was the first one written. Uh, don't know that for sure, but it's probably a healthy opinion. Mark's shorter, it's really action-packed, and it just has a lot of kind of like bare bones, this is what happened. It's just an account of Jesus' life. And so a lot of people would actually believe that uh, as you read Matthew and Luke, you could understand that uh, Matthew and Luke were writing from their experiences, from the information they've gathered, but that they were maybe sitting there with the Gospel of Mark in one hand and writing or typing on their tablet or whatever they're doing. Um, the, they were reading the Gospel of Mark and using that as a reference as well. So it's a pretty, to me, a pretty important Gospel. So that's a bit about who Mark is. But for me, when, when I read Scripture, the most important thing is, well, why is this written? Why does this text exist? What, what's the point that Mark's trying to get across? There aren't, you know, uh, it's, it's not multiple choice. Mark wrote this for a reason, and he had a point. And he actually unfolds it kind of in the beginning for us. In, in the Bible, there are a lot of different genres. There's, uh, you know, there's prophecy, there's poetry, there's wisdom, there are parables, there's apocalyptic literature, everyone's favorite. There's genealogies, uh, you know. And, um, but the largest genre of uh, literature in scripture is narrative, just stories, just people are recounting the history, the stories of things that actually happened. Um, and this is the literary genre of Mark. So Mark throughout this is just writing the story down. He's just saying this is what happened and he's letting the story speak for itself. He doesn't show up with a bunch of commentary or like side notes and be like, this happened, so here's Mark, and I'm, you know, I just want you to let you know what this, what this means. He just lets the story and Jesus' life and ministry and teaching speak for themselves. Um, so it's like when you read the New Testament, you read letters. I mean, that's usually like Paul saying, this is what I think, and this is what you should do, and, and it's really good. But Mark just lets the story happen. However, that's not true for the first couple verses. In the first couple verses, Mark gives us kind of the reason, the gist of why he's writing this book, and he says, this is what I think, 
and then we can understand the rest of the text through that. So if you've got a uh, Bible or a device or whatever, uh, feel free to grab it or it'll be up on the screen. But Mark 1, starting in verse 1, this is what Mark says. He says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So, so Mark really, in one sentence, he's not, he's not hiding anything. He's just saying, here's what's up, guys. I'm about to tell you a story, but here's my conclusion. Jesus is the almighty God who created everything and is over everything. And I'll unpack that a little bit. The, the, he says it's the beginning of the good news. Ancient Jewish people, when they would read the Old Testament, which we call the Old Testament, they called the Bible, um, when they would read that, they would understand that there's a promise, there's good news coming, this, what we call the gospel, the good news, that something's coming, this Messiah, the Savior, this Christ is going to come and he's going to change things. So this is Mark saying, okay, you guys have read the Old Testament, guys, this is it. Everything we're anticipating and looking forward to, this is it. This is happening now. And he says about Jesus, the Messiah. Messiah means chosen one. It means like the savior, the, the, the game changer who's going to come and lead people into redemption and into God's love, the son of God. When he writes the son of God, he's not just trying to trace some kind of family line. What he's saying is Jesus is divine. He is deity himself. And as we continue through the gospel, you get the sense that Mark is saying, Jesus isn't just a son of God and he's not just divine, but he is God himself. God descended from heaven put on skin, and here he is. This is the type of stuff, we can read that pretty quickly and easily now in 21st century North America. This is the type of stuff that as Mark's writing it, and he's like, if people read this, I could get killed for this. This is, this is like, um, this is contraband back then. But, but Mark is saying, here's what's up, guys. This is it. And he's about to reference some prophets, and I want to just drop a couple observations about that, and then we'll move on. So as he's saying, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So this is actually a little bit interesting, and there's a fair amount going on historically with this, and I'll explain a little bit of that, but we could spend the next hour on that, but we won't. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, the most interesting thing about that statement there is that what he's about to quote, part of it's Isaiah, but part of it is actually Malachi. You know, that's another one of the prophets in the Old Testament, the last one. The first part is Malachi, and the second part is Isaiah. And so this has actually bugged a lot of scholars for a long time. Like, well, did Mark mess up? Like, divinely inspired by God, but doesn't know, like, does, Mark knows the Old Testament. Like, he, he, back then they would, like, study. This was their life. He knew it. This has been kind of such an uncomfortable thing for some translators that the translators of some translations, such as, like, the King James, actually changed Mark's words. They kind of made up for his mistake, and they've said, as it is written in the prophets. And, and that's like kind of a safe, comfortable thing to do. And I, I don't know. I, like I said, I could spend a long time on this. The gospel isn't just this safe, easy, not messy, really comfortable thing. If that's what you're looking for, then the gospel isn't a good idea. Barney would be like a really good idea. It, Mark didn't make mistakes. There's something bigger going on here. Mark knows that Isaiah and Malachi weren't just blindly writing what they heard from God about something that's going to happen in four or 500 years. The prophets weren't just writing something that meant nothing to the people in their time and space. I think a lot of times when we read the Old Testament, we read Old Testament prophecy, and we're like, this is just about Jesus. The people there had no idea what this meant. Isaiah, Malachi, the prophets, they were pastors in their time. They were writing something that mattered. 
this isn't where we're going this morning, but I want you to understand this. As you read scripture, when you read the prophets, they were writing something that mattered in that time and space because God is a God of our time and space who invades our reality with his truth, and the prophets did that. However, Mark, along with the other New Testament authors, noticed that, like, man, all of this stuff seems to be culminating in a bigger fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why I don't think it matters if he references Isaiah or Malachi or who, who he gives credit to, because the credit isn't given to them. When prophecy happens, when God speaks through his people, I think what Mark's saying here is he's saying, God spoke, and now God's fulfilling. And that's it. Malachi, Isaiah. Isaiah probably got the credit because he's more famous, but it doesn't matter. Anyways, sorry, I, that's like really interesting to me. And we could, anyway. So you can read those in Malachi 3 and Isaiah 40 if you want later. But we're going to continue on. So Mark is saying, it's written in the prophets that before this Messiah comes, there's going to be a voice preceding him. Kind of like the idea of, if you've seen like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the guy clapping the rocks, like walking, running in front of the king to make it sound like a horse. And he's like, here you, here you, here comes the king. This is kind of John. This is what Mark is saying John is, and this is what is prophesied. So he says, and so John the Baptist appeared. So the prophet said this, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So as John the Baptist guy shows up, it's kind of this forerunner, this herald for Jesus. He comes first, he kind of rolls out the red carpet for Jesus, and he comes first and he drops this message. And his message is, be baptized through repentance of your sins. A message of repentance for your sins is like, we read that and those are like church words. What he's saying is he's showing up and saying, you guys are sinners, like you're messed up, you've got an issue. You're bad, you're naughty. That's what we say to Avery. You're being naughty. Um, and, uh, but there's hope. It's not really a popular message. It's not like the type of thing that you're like, oh, you know, I want to go hear this guy talk about how messed up I am, my, my sin issues. But, but that's the reality. Scripture teaches that all of us have this issue called sin, and we struggle with it, and we're, we kind of have this leaning to rebel against God, to do our own thing, to be selfish, and to be given to sin rather than God's righteousness and holiness. Nowadays, if you spend time on social media, the message would be, spend time reflecting on how good you are. But that's not the gospel. The gospel, it sounds negative, but it's actually a lot better and a lot bigger. Spend time reflecting on the fact that you are sinful, and you're broken, and you've got some issues. But there's more hope through Jesus Christ than you can find in meditating on who you are in and of yourself. Doesn't sound like a very popular message, but check this out. There's revival as a result. Verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan. John just comes out and says, you guys are sinners and there's hope. It's the gospel. It's pretty simple. And people flock to this message. Man, this truth is so good. If you're like me, you've been frustrated trying to be good enough. You, you've, you've tried to over deal with your own issues. You've tried to overcome your own struggles, your own selfishness, and it just never leads anywhere. And, and this is his message. And we're actually going to take communion now. I'm going to call the communion service forward, and, and the band's going to come up, and uh, they're going to play during our communion time. I think we've really misunderstood God's grace. I think... We often believe, well, Jesus died on the cross, so there's just this free gift of grace, so we kind of do our thing, and he forgives us when we mess up. It is through grace that we're saved. It is only by Jesus' death on the cross that we have grace. But John shows us what the gospel looks like. To, to, to enter into that grace, 
requires of us an action, a somber realization of the immensity and the gravity and the negativity and the, the bleakness of our sinful nature and to say, God, I repent. Repent doesn't just mean to say, I'm sorry, but it says, God, I'm so sorry that I've offended you and that I've hurt you and that I've lived in a way that's rebellious to how you've created me. Please invade, please invade my life with your grace and help me turn from that. Help me change the way I live. When we talk about communion, uh, if you're we talk about being a commemoration of what Jesus has done on the cross, and that's true. It's a great time to reflect on God's work on the cross. But, but it's not just about reflecting on what Jesus has done. It's also a good time to reflect on what that calls us to. That recalls us to confess our sins. That recalls us to continually come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry that I still struggle with sin. Please continue to pour out your grace and your forgiveness in my life. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never chosen to be a follower of him, it's not that complex. I mean, it's hard, but it's not that complex. This morning as we take communion, it's actually a really great time to do that. I'd invite you to consider taking communion and say this, during communion, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to take my sin issue and heal it for me. I want you to be my savior. I want you to be my Messiah. I want you to be the king of my life. I'd invite you to do that this morning. For those of you who are followers of Jesus and are going to take communion this morning, what I'd like to invite you into this morning is this. Not just to take the cup and the wafer and say, hey, God, thanks for what you've done. Do that. But as they sing this song called Amazing Love, just sit there and take a few minutes of confession. If you've never done this before, it's a really good practice. It's part of the Lord's Prayer to come before Jesus and say, I'm sorry. Please free me from my evil. Please free me from my sin. If you need help getting started, flip open to Psalm 51 and just read through that and pray that as we wait. And then at the end, we'll take uh, communion together. So you guys can go ahead and start handing it out. And as you guys hold on to it, just reflect on Jesus's goodness and continue to confess and turn to him in repentance. Amazing love. How can it be? It's actually crazy. It's insane that this perfectly holy, flawless God who created everything decided, I'm going to hop off my throne here and throw a skin on and go and sacrifice my life for people who are struggling with their own selfishness and rebellion against me. But what an amazing truth that is, and I'm very thankful. I love in that song how the response is, it's my joy to honor you, and all I do, I honor you. I think that's really where confession leads, is saying, God, you know, I'm sorry that I'm struggling with sin. Please lead me to live a life where I not only don't struggle with sin, but I lead, lead a life where I'm taking steps and actions and using who I am to honor you and to bring you praise through who I am. Let's take and eat together. Let's drink together. One thing I love about Scripture, I mean, Scripture is so fascinating. One thing I love is, as you read through the text, Old Testament and New Testament, is is some of the characters are just these wild characters. They don't make sense. Like some of the people with the biggest issues are the weirdest people, and, and God uses them, and it gives me a lot of hope. 
This John the Baptist guy who just caused this huge revival uh, preaching the gospel. This is what it says about him in verse 6. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. What? Like, what a weird guy. He's hanging out in the wilderness. Like, you're like, hey, mom, I'm going to this, like, church meeting where we get to go and just, like, confess our sins. It's out in the middle of the wilderness, and it's run by this guy who just eats bugs and honey, and he's wearing camel skin, like is like the hump from the camel, like his hood, or like what, you know, what a weird guy, you know? I, sometimes I wonder, people come to FPC and they're like, you see that like weird looking long-haired guy talking? Like, you know, I'm hopeful when God ta- works through some of these really weird, messed up, strange individuals, this guy's just eating bugs. Like, you know, imagine like you come here on a baptism Sunday, and I'm dunking someone with one hand, and the other hand, I've got like a grasshopper in my hand, and I'm just like, yeah, this is great. You know, so anyways, what a weird picture. We'll move on. You, there's hope for you. you. God can work through you. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John's, John's the mega preacher of the day. John's I mean, John, if, if he had like a YouTube channel or if he was live on Instagram, he'd have more views going on and more subscribers than any other preacher of the day. This guy's a huge deal. The whole country's coming out to hear him. But he says, this other guy, this dude coming, his name is Jesus. I'm not even worthy to unbuckle his shoes. I can't even fall at his feet. This is how amazing this Jesus guy is. And in this teaching, he says, I'm baptizing you guys with water. I'm dunking you guys in the Jordan River. But Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, the audience at the time, they would know about God's spirit. They would, they would know in the creation account, well, God was creating and his spirit was hovering above all of creation. They would know that when the judges rose up and they were given crazy strength and power like Samson, that it was by God's spirit filling Samson that he had his strength. Or they would remember, oh yeah, when David killed Goliath, it was because God's spirit invaded him. God filled him with his spirit. These special instances, when the prophets spoke, God's spirit filled them and they spoke. But now, it's not this special, like, VIP thing. Mark's saying, or John's saying, guys, every single person is going to be able to be immersed in and enveloped in God's living spirit. You no longer live in your own strength, in your own mind, in your own ability, but God's spirit dwells in you. I think that's a really under valued teaching in our churches now. That, that, that's who you are. That's your identity in Christ if you're a follower of Jesus. We're going to read through this next part pretty quickly. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. That's pretty interesting. John just said, I can't even untie this guy's shoes. And now Jesus says, actually, I'm going to let you baptize me. Very humble. Baptized in the Jordan, just like everyone else. We'll come back to that in a second. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn up open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love with you. I am well pleased. What a sight this would have been for people to see. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. I love this description of Jesus because it just, you know, Jesus doesn't show up in this big, you know, bout of acclaim. Like, it's not just like, there really is no red carpet. He's not high above everyone else. He just gets baptized like everyone else in the Jordan by John the Baptist. It just, 
really normal, like everyone else does. He doesn't get holy water shipped in, you know. He's just, this, you know, it's not like they saved water from like the Noah's flood, and that's what they use for Jesus or anything like that. It's just really normal. He goes out into the wilderness, and he goes through tough stuff, just like we do. I mean, I've never starved in a wilderness for 40 days, but he goes through some tough stuff, just like we do. He's such a humble servant. He, he's, he's, he comes in with such an aura of humility and just servitude, and it's amazing. And I want to pause and just say something really quickly about this. Jesus and the New Testament teach baptism. They say, when you become a follower of Jesus, you should get baptized. And I love here is Jesus doesn't just teach it. He gets baptized. The same kind of baptism. He says, some weird hippie guy out in the wilderness baptized me, so you guys can get baptized by some weird hippie guy at FBC. Um, but it, it, just a really normal baptism. And he says, you know, I, I want you guys to do the same. Just follow my example. I think a lot of times we treat baptism like this really weird coming of spiritual age in our churches nowadays, where you like get saved and then you're like, okay, you know, I'm going to work towards baptism. You know, one day when I've got it all together, you know, I can get baptized. And so often I talk to people who say, I don't know if I'm ready to get baptized because I'm just not sure if I can commit. I might mess up. I might, you know, my baptism isn't about you. If you're focusing on your own ability to follow Jesus, if you're concerned about your own strength, then you're, you're focused on the wrong person. Baptism is a... Pre- you get saved, you start following Jesus, and then you get baptized as a commitment to seal the deal. You say, Jesus, I've started following you, so I'm, getting, I'm, I'm committing through baptism. I would almost say if you're not ready to think about baptism, then maybe you're not even ready to think about following Jesus. It, it is a thing of commitment. You, you say, Jesus... I, I am scared that I'm going to struggle. I'm scared that I'm going to... In fact, I know I'm, you, you're all going to mess up. We all are. So baptism isn't the cure-all. It's not like once you're like 90 and you've lived enough righteous years, you can get back. If you're here and you're struggling because of your own insecurity and your own doubt, then the gospel hasn't invaded your mind and you're thinking about yourself rather than Jesus. If you have decided to follow Jesus, get baptized. It's like, to, to me, it's really that, that simple. Um, we have baptism classes coming up in March, so uh, sign up. So uh, that was really blunt, I know, but just do it. There's, don't focus on yourself. Focus on Jesus' example. Anyways, this is where I want to land, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So after John was put in prison, maybe at this point you're like, what? John's in prison now? Uh, so I'll give you a little bit of context there so you know what's going on with John. Basically, this is all we read about John until chapter 6 when things don't go very well for him. He gets uh, arrested because Herod, the king of the time, uh, takes his brother's wife. Herod takes his own brother's wife to be his wife, and John doesn't think that's a very good idea, so he calls him out on it, and Herod doesn't like being called out on it. Really defensive dude, so he puts him in prison. And then in chapter 6, you'll find out that he dies because Herod's new wife is kind of a psychopath. But um, I hope you guys do read about it. I hope you guys read ahead in Mark so that this series will be even better for you. But uh, crazy wife, don't marry a woman like that. So read Mark 6. Young single guys, don't marry that kind of woman. Uh, also, don't take your brother's wife. Bad news. Okay. That seems like a no-brainer. Unless you're like a twin and your twin dies, then you should because you already know that your twin brother's wife finds you attractive if you're a twin. Okay, so sorry, that has nothing to do with the text. Have you never thought about that? If you have a twin and you're dating someone, you're the person you're dating is attracted to your sibling, like completely, or else they are not attracted to you. Anyways, I'm sorry. This is a, okay, this is falling apart. John's in prison. 
Here's Jesus' message, and this is where I want to camp. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is a really uh, important teaching of Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about his kingdom a lot. This is a big theme. You're going to read this through Mark. You're going to read this through Matthew a lot. Through the Gospels, you're going to read about Jesus coming and saying, my kingdom's come here. I've come and I've brought my kingdom. So, so the picture isn't that Jesus just descended. He came to earth. But the picture is that Jesus came and he's like, check it out, guys. I brought my whole kingdom. You know, I, I'm, I'm moving in here. I'm, I'm taking over. And this is a tough teaching for the disciples and the early audience because those who were anticipating Jesus coming had their own ideas. They, they knew that Jesus would be a king or the coming Messiah would be a king. They knew that he would come and set up a kingdom, but they had their eyes set on different things for sure. Uh, for sure, the Jewish people were like, Jesus is going to come, the Messiah is going to come, and Israel, that's going to become his kingdom. He's going to kick the Romans out. We're going to have political power, and we're going to be a strong, prosperous nation. And here's Jesus saying, I don't care about this little piece of land in, the Western, in Western Asia. My kingdom's bigger than a bunch of dirt and soil that I created. And maybe they thought Jesus is going to come and take over economic power. We'll be rich and prosperous people. <laughs> Jesus is thinking, I don't need money. Like, I own everything. You know, maybe some people thought Jesus is going to come and take religious power. Or, or maybe Jesus is going to come and be a, a, a military force. Imagine that. Jesus laughing at that. She's saying, I'm actually going to die on a cross as like a tortured criminal. I'm not taking military power. It's so easy for us to have our own picture and idea of what Jesus or God should look like and what he should do and what his kingdom should look like. We have our perspective of our life in our own lens where we say, Jesus, here is how you could work in my life. For sure, that's what the early audience did. But Jesus is saying, I, I don't need your, I brought my own kingdom. One of the best analogies I can think of, maybe this is a weird analogy, but this is one of the best analogies I can think of for my life. So my wife, Talisi, and I have a, a hobby. I don't know if you call it hobby or addiction, but um, we have this hobby, and um, for sure it's perpetuated by me more than her. Um, and, and we're really into uh, board games. Like We love playing strategy board games and stuff like that. So, so this is our game shelf at home. Um, for some of you, I've maybe gained a little bit of credibility, but for most of you, I've probably lost all credibility now. Uh, you're like, wow, what a loser. Um, but yeah, this is a, that's probably a little excessive, but we, we, that's a lot of Christmases piled up and all that. So anyways, we love playing board games. It's really fun. Um, Chelsea's cousin and, his, and her husband um, came to stay at our house a little while ago. And I remember it was really funny. I, it's just like a little comment, but I thought it was so funny. He walked into our house and he said, hey, quick, before we do anything, does anybody need me to run out and get some board games? And uh, I, was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's funny because we have lots, I get it. But then I was like, but seriously, which ones? Because we might not have those yet. But um, <laughs> this is my picture of Jesus. He shows up, he's got his kingdom, and people are like, oh, Jesus, like the economy, politics, Israel, this, you know, military power. And Jesus just says, guys... I've got it. Like, I, I have brought my kingdom with me, and I am setting this up, and it will be global, and it will be bigger than anything that you guys have in mind. Stop trying to picture the type of king I will be. This is a big teaching that Jesus is setting up his kingdom, because if Jesus brings a kingdom, what does that make him? It makes him king. When you read scripture, I think one of the best questions to ask is, so what, or now what? You read about God, you read about Jesus, and then the question should be, so what? So how, should, how does that change how I live? So Jesus brings a kingdom. He's the king of everything. He, he's taking over. He owns the universe, but now he's setting up this global kingdom here on earth. 
So what? We talk about thinking in here a lot at FPC, and, and we take that from Matthew 22, 37, where Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I mean, I think this is a good point to start when we think about the so what. So what does that mean for me? Well, what it means is that if Jesus is truly king, that means that we are truly subjects. We're servants. We submit, we sacrifice, we surrender. That's not a fun teaching. That's not like, you know, when you ask people, what are your favorite things to do in life? Most people aren't like, ah, oh, surrender, you know, submit. I like those kinds of things. Because um, we want to be the king of our own kingdom or queen, whatever. Uh, we want to be the ruler of our own lives. But the good news is this, is that you are so much better off being the lowest subject and servant in the kingdom of the most high God who always has your best interests in mind than to be the king, the master, the ruler of your own sin-inflicted kingdom. It's just a way better deal. He's got your best interests in mind. None of us always have our own best interests in mind, especially those of those around us. We're called to surrender completely, all of us. I feel that one of the challenges we face is that a lot of the times, a lot of us at church, you know, North American Christians, or maybe any Christians, we get this in some areas of our lives, but we hold back the harder parts of our lives, or we compartmentalize who we think we are. So when I think about this passage, love the Lord with all your, your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, I think about how we are not just like one-dimensional human beings. We're all intellectual and we're all emotional human beings. You're both. You're an intellectual human being and you're an emotional human being. And some of you kind of maybe tensed up. You're like, I'm not, you know, maybe flexed your muscles. Like, I'm not emotional. Or maybe you like kind of coward and you're like, I'm not intellectual. You are both. God created you that way. And he created you that way so that you can interact with him on both of those levels. But a lot of us were like, well, I'm a really left brain person. I'm a really right brain person. You know, so... That means I connect with God in this way. So a lot of people talk to me sometimes. They say, yeah, I love God. He's great. Like, you know, I totally accept him and his love and his message. And I love the church community and all that. But, I, you know, I haven't really read scripture. I don't really know much about it. Like, I, I don't really know the stories. And, and I don't, you know, I haven't, I haven't really looked into it. And we think that's okay because we're like, yeah, I'm just, it's just because I'm more of an emotional human. That's how I connect with God. And, and it's like we get to decide how we were created. No, God created you to be an intellectual human being. So he's saying, use your mind to connect with me. Spend time pondering truth about who I am. Spend time discussing the reality of what it means to, to follow Jesus. And it's not just on that side. On the other side, a lot of people, you know, some people, they're really smart. You know, they make the rest of us feel embarrassed because they're so smart and they read scripture, they ponder theology, they think about philosophy and they have all these ideas and wisdom and they've thought about all these things, but then... The so what is missing. You see that it's like their heart is stale and cold because they've lived their whole relationship with Jesus up in their minds. If I know enough about Jesus, if I could dominate everyone at Bible trivia, then, you know, I've got it. And that's a really unfortunate way of thinking too. It's interesting. The psalmist writes that we should meditate on God's law day and night. We should sit around pondering theology and spirituality and the magnitude and mystery of God. But the psalmist also writes that in the same way that a thirsty deer starts to pant when it sees water, when it's thirsty, it starts to get excited about water, that our soul should long for God, that we should be in love with our Savior. You know, you don't need to be the type of family that go on Dr. Phil to think that you're an emotional human being. And you don't need to be Stephen Hawkins to think that you are an intellectual human being. You're both, because God created you that way. 
And that's just one way we compartmentalize our lives. Some, some of us, we have areas where we're like, yeah, I, you know, I can do like God's stuff in this area, but this part, I'm holding on to it. And that's just really not the type of king Jesus is. Jesus is a king. He's not a distant monarch. He's not a regent king. He's a king who comes and sets up his kingdom, and it's completely all-encompassing and says, I'm inviting you into my kingdom, but it means that I'm taking over, and it requires complete surrender. It's not like the monarchy that we have in Canada. Legit, no one actually came and told me after first service, but Elizabeth, I think that's her name. I, I don't actually know the name of our queen. You guys are probably laughing at me if you're, so, like, if you're history buffs, but I think her name's Elizabeth. She, she means nothing to me. Like, I know she's on coins, but I don't even use coins anymore. You know, it's all plastic. She's not on my credit card. So I, I don't, she, she really has no impact. Like, no offense. I, I'm sure she's super nice. And like, I'd love to hang out with her and all that. If she sees this, come hang out. Um, but uh, that, that's just not the type of monarch Jesus is. He says, my kingdom is all encompassing. He's not a side dish on our plate. He's the main course that fills our whole plate. He's everything. He wants every aspect of your life. And I think when it comes to recognizing Jesus as king, we have two options. One is no, or one is complete surrender. Jesus, the whole plate is yours. You are my feast. You're not a side dish. Uh, it's really nice for me to get to be able to study scripture and talk about it and experience the gospel in my own life. One of the really exciting things about being a part of FBC is to get to see God work and the gospel at work in people's lives and to see people's lives changed by the incredible life-changing love and goodness of God. Um, and I, I love hearing people's stories and I love getting to share that too. So I'm going to actually invite my friend uh, Megan to the stage and kind of introduce you to her and then let her talk to you guys a little bit, introduce her to you. Um, Megan uh, started coming to FBC in junior high. She started coming to our youth group and camp, and she started following Jesus. And eventually she did our leader and training program out at camp with Talsi and me. And she also, in grade nine, started uh, attending a small group. And Talsi was her uh, small group leader. Thanks, guys. Um, and uh, so she's kind of grown up with us here at FBC, and we've gotten to see um, how God has worked through her life. Uh, eventually she started working at her camp. Uh, and I'm trying to see if I miss anything, because you're pretty awesome. If you haven't gone to meet Megan, I'm really sorry, because she's leaving on Friday, so you won't get to. But um, she, uh, just an incredible girl. When she graduated, she decided to go to Bible college. And for the last several years, before last year, she was studying at Briarcrest to become, uh, to work at a church, to work with kids and stuff like that. And this last year, she filled Talisay's mat leave. Um, so I'm going to get her to talk to you in a second. I promise I'm going to let her talk. It's just I keep blabbing away. But um, I could talk about Megan for a long time. Um, uh, she's actually uh, this Friday leaving to go to North Vancouver. To uh, She's gotten a job as a children's pastor out at a church in North Vancouver. And so um, that's really, oh, I heard like a half clap. You can clap. I don't know. So it, that was awkward. You know, you're in that situation. Like, do we clap? Do we not? Okay. Um, so anyways, uh, she's going to do that, and we're just so excited to see how God's worked in her life. I'm excited to hear about how he continues to work in her life, and we kind of wanted to send her off today, but thought, let's let her share a little bit about her journey here. So Megan, like I said, I'm going to let you talk. I've um, been talking about in the text how Jesus is king. He's the king of our lives, and it's more than just believing that Jesus is king, but it's actually submitting your life and letting him take complete control of your life and surrendering that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how that's played out in your world, and uh, yeah, just share a bit of your story that way with us. Um, yeah, so taking part in Christ's kingdom has definitely changed my life in a lot of ways. Um, 
it's really all about uh, not living for what I want, but really seeking what God has for me, whether that's in the big life choices I make, like deciding to go into ministry, or in the small everyday decisions, like just choosing to love others. Um, I think God is always calling us uh, to learn something new from him and to give something else up, to uh, just to really give in to him in a lot of different ways. He's always showing each of us something new. Hmm. I love that you mentioned choices because I think that's one of the hardest things. Like we, we the gospel kind of happens in this part of our life and then we make our own choices. But, um, and a lot of times we make bad ones and then we're just praying for God to fix them. Um, but just the idea of surrendering all your choices in life and the direction of your life to him, that's, that's really cool. So it's not easy. Like following Jesus is uh, hard and making him, it's surrendering your life to him as king is hard. So why don't you comment a little bit maybe on the difficulty in your life or why, why you think that's a struggle and maybe encourage us in that a little bit. Um, yeah, I think all of us as humans uh, struggle to really fully surrender our lives to Christ because we have this need to feel in control. Um, I know for myself, I really like to make plans. Um, it makes me feel like the future is just a little bit more solid. Um, so when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do with my life, I made a lot of plans, but uh, none of them really involved church leadership. So you're probably wondering, uh, how did you get a Christian ministry degree, and how are you about to head off to work it out at church? And honestly, my only answer is I chose to surrender my life, and that meant surrendering my plans also. Um, and what's really cool about that is I think the plans that God has created for me and the ones that I'm following after have been so much more amazing than I could ever have planned or imagined. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's kind of the good news, right? When you, surrendering's hard, but the benefit it far outweighs the cost. So um, I'm actually uh, getting a little emotional because Megan's just, uh, man, <clears throat> too much time with Doug. Um, Megan's amazing, and we've been so blessed to have her. So I want us to just pray for her because she's going to be, yeah, she's going to be taken off to a new adventure. So why don't you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much for the obvious ways that you've worked in Megan's life. Thank you that you've become king of her world and that you've led her, God. Um, you are truly incredible. Uh, we just pray that she would uh, be filled with your wisdom and creativity um, as she goes out and leads at a church. Uh, on the West Coast there, God. Pray that you just keep her strong and passionately surrender to you as she serves out there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's hear from Megan. That's exciting. It's actually so exciting that uh, we're having a, we're celebrating her going away with donuts today. So, um, just kidding. That just worked out well. So, here's where I want to land. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. God's kingdom is here. Jesus is king. And I want to kind of end with uh, explaining something a little bit from my life. Um, and I want to talk to you about these two books that I've brought. And so before I do, I have to, this is like a really important disclaimer to me. Um, I'm about to tell you a story about something I've done, but I need you guys to understand that this isn't typical of me. So what, basically, bottom line, I need you to understand that I'm not a romantic person, okay? I don't, I don't want you guys having the wrong picture of me, that I'm some kind of like gushy romantic person. I'm not, okay? I'm not a nice guy. So um, I'm not like that. So don't, please don't think that, okay? That would be, tra that'd be a travesty. So this book uh, is a, a book that I wrote, and I'll tell you why. So 
in uh, like 2008, there was this uh, female, and I start, decided that I, I liked her, and I would try to uh, procure her life as mine for the rest of my life. And so uh, her name was Talisey, and uh, it's kind of a long story. I'm not going to give you all the details, but uh, we were on tour, and I knew that I was going to see her uh, now in 2009 on this certain date, and I was like, I'm going to ask her to be my girlfriend that day. And I was pretty serious about this. I, I sponsored a kid whose uh, birthday was that date, and so I could give it to her when I asked her to be my girlfriend. But I also, what I started doing was I started writing this journal leading up to that, because I knew the date when we'd be in her town and when I'd see her, and my life was very scheduled like that. And so I started writing this journal, and there's like a countdown in the front of the days and, and all this stuff. Again, wives, don't look at your husbands and be like, why can't you be romantic like Ryan? Trust me, if they're romantic like me, you'd hate your marriage, okay? So uh, I did one nice thing. If your husband, and, and this nice thing was like pre-marriage too, so that's like when you're actually trying, right? So uh, don't, don't leave here having an incorrect picture of me. Your husbands are probably way better than me. So, uh, and I'm going to get there. So I wrote this journal, and, and I'm kind of embarrassed. I, I think it has like I think it even has like some poetry in it and stuff. It's like, that's embarrassing, but there, there's stuff in here. I, I filled every page with stuff for Talisey and I gave it to her and, and she took this book and she, she read it uh, thoroughly and she enjoyed it. Well, obviously it was really well written, but um, the, uh, she, she, she read it cover to cover. It was like, you know, we were young and in love and now we're just older and in love, but uh, she read this book and, and it was really meaningful to her. Um, this, this other book takes a little bit more transparency to talk about. Um, and, you know, as, as one of your leaders here at FPC, I always want to be transparent with you guys, and I'm willing to commit uh, my own shortcomings in life and stuff, too. So this book is a book that Talisey wrote leading up to her wedding. Um, I was gone a lot, so we weren't uh, together a lot, but she wrote this book, and she gave it to me when we got married. And uh, this is actually tough to talk about, but... Um, the truth is, we've been married for eight and a half years, the truth is I, I actually haven't even read all of this book, which is, um, I, I would say, pretty shameful. It's not, it's not a long book. And here's what happens. I've taken this book out sometimes, and I put it on my nightstand. I'm like, I'm going to read this book, you know, like every night before bed. Or, and what happens is life gets busy, and I kind of just do other stuff, and I have priorities, and I just don't have the spare time that I think I would have to read this book. Maybe if it was as well-written as mine, it'd be easier, but um, just kind of, sorry. Here comes the end of my marriage. But um, it's actually pathetic that I haven't written this. Talcy poured her heart and soul into this book and, and wrote this journal for me because she loves me. And me, I've, I've just taken it for granted. I've just said, well, you know what? Like, we're still married and all that, so I, I don't need to. And, and I feel ashamed saying that because that, that's, that's not being a good husband. But imagine, it's hard to imagine how that makes Talisey feel. You know, like, I mean, that's, that's, that's hurtful. Um, then I think about this book, and I think about these 66 love letters, especially Song of Solomon, that's really a love letter, but um, I think about these 66 love letters that God not only poured his heart and soul into, but gave his life for and said, I love you guys. And so often, you know, it ends up on the night table, and it's just there, and we just yeah, if I have spare time, if I've got nothing better to do. We don't yearn and long to please our Father. It's, it's, it's one thing to be a bad husband. It's a whole other thing to be bad at surrendering and submitting your life to your king. It's just another level. 
And I want to quickly say on a personal level, I'm going to commit in front of all of you guys today that I'm going to read this throughout our Mark series. So you can feel free to hold me accountable on that. I might see if there's an audio book, make it easier, but it's bad. Just kidding. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it thoroughly. Every single page. I started flipping through it last night. I'm actually kind of excited. You can hold me on that. If I haven't read it by the end of this Mark series, then I don't know, whatever consequences you want to come up with, whatever. But I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to commence that to you guys. But, but this analogy, I don't think, just applies only to Scripture. I mean, I think there's a clear crossover there where we don't spend time sitting down and just saying, God, I love you so much. I just want to know you. I just want to read the work that you've given me. But I think we do that with lots of areas of our lives. We just put it on the night table and say, well, maybe one day I'll surrender that to Jesus. Maybe when it's more convenient or easier. And that's, just, that's just not a helpful way to approach this idea of faith. I hope that as we read through the gospel, and lots of you have read Mark before, hopefully you're reading Mark now, uh, that rather than just being like, yeah, I've heard this all before, that you'll continue to ask Jesus, Jesus, if you're to be my king, how can I continue to do a better job of being your servant? How can I serve you? How can I surrender my life? And give him the whole thing. No more side dish Jesus, no more night table Jesus, but Jesus who is our king that we completely submit to Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, that you extend grace to us. You are so good to us. You are the almighty creator of the universe. You are the king of kings, the name above all names, all-powerful, all-knowing, unendingly perfect and righteous and holy. God, help us be a church that surrenders and submits and offers our lives as a sacrifice to you and says, you're our king. Lead us. We'll go wherever you take us, God. We love you so much. Amen. Like I said, it's Donut Sunday. So enjoy that. We'll see you next week, guys.